Hello, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Thanks for joining us today. This is episode 181, and today we are going to have a cryptocurrency review and a discussion with Matt Stankwitz from the Volkoff Law Group. He's a managing counsel. And uh, we're going to look at the Ripple case and other cryptocurrency issues uh, that uh, and the trends uh, that we think are going to be significant during 2021. Uh, before we get started, uh, let's hear from our sponsor, Steel Compliance. Steel Compliance is the global leader in compliance and ethics management. Steel's compliance and ethics platform is comprehensive, robust, and easy to use to promote a company's culture of compliance. Steel partners with the world's largest, most respected companies to deliver compliance products and services that help organizations embrace a culture of compliance while protecting their brand. Building an ethical culture is a complex undertaking that requires a detailed understanding of the global compliance environment, considerable time, and specialized expertise. Steel's end-to-end ethics and compliance platform is designed to provide compliance officers with the solutions they need to proactively address changing regulatory and reputational risks. Steel's ethics and compliance automated platform offers critical functions designed to promote a speak-up culture to advance employee engagement, reporting, and incident management, investigate promptly and fairly potential incidents to ensure compliance with your organization's code of conduct and applicable laws and regulations, including anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, antitrust, sanctions, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Manage your organization's compliance policies and procedures to ensure that policies are updated and disseminated effectively so that employees understand your organization's compliance requirements. Educate and engage your organization to promote understanding in how your compliance program applies to -to day-to-day operations. And evaluate and monitor your organization's business partners, vendors, suppliers, and customers to mitigate risk and ensure adherence to your organization's ethics and compliance requirements. To learn more about Steel's compliance solutions, please contact us at email steelglobal.com or call 415-692-5000. Well, I wanted to introduce Matt Stankowitz here from the Volkoff Law Group, uh, Matt's managing counsel and does a lot of work uh, in the cryptocurrency field. And Matt, you've been writing a lot lately in terms of uh, important issues, but welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here, obviously. Um, This is a very exciting industry for me. Um, There's been a lot happening as of late, especially Um, a whole lot of growth and a whole lot of regulatory issues as well. So, um, yeah, looking forward to discussing them and, you know, giving some updates to our listeners. Well, let's let's start first uh, in the cryptocurrency world uh, these days. Uh, We've seen, I I think, two pretty big uh, cases or enforcement actions that are brought. And let's start first with uh, BitMEX, which uh, I wrote about on our blog, Corruption, Crime and Compliance, where uh, the CFTC brought charges. There were also uh, criminal charges brought um, in terms of uh, cryptocurrency uh, derivatives trading platform that was operating. Can you sort of give us an update on what's going on there? Yeah, just, um, you know, very, very briefly and, you know, high level, the, um, you know, so they were charged with illegally operating a cryptocurrency derivatives trading platform. Um, You know, so basically they allowed people to trade in options and futures and, you know, short cryptocurrency. 
Um, and they were making a lot of money doing so. <laughs> they had a lot, a lot of money. Yeah, they, they had you know several billion dollars in volume over the time period at issue here, and um, they were alleged to have received over a billion dollars in fees alone. Um, you know, the individuals were extremely you know made made a lot of money off of it, um, but now facing charges for their issues. And you know, the company, um, the CFTC charged the company directly along with four individuals. Um, it was the three owners and then its um, top employee. And, you know, they're <laughs> all having issues right now. But there um, were also <laughs> criminal charges brought, Matt, and, the, the, right. you know, in uh, so against the individuals. They didn't charge the company. But what struck me, which was amazing, was that these guys operated under the theory that they can solicit U.S. and, and in, be involved with transactions involving U.S. customers, and they don't have to have a money laundering program. They had literally, you know, the barest of anti-money laundering programs. So, I mean, I, mean, I think I think calling the program bare would be even overselling it. <laughs> but but the, you know they had to have had, but they they had to know the risks that they were getting into. And you know, if anything, what we're going to see with this new Biden administration coming in is even more strict requirements with regard to anti-money laundering. Um, and, and I know we're going to talk about that later, but it just seemed incredible to me that these guys would be involved in derivatives trading off of uh, cryptocurrencies and have nothing in place. Right. And, and that was a big, you know, that was a big piece of the charges as well is, um, you know, several money laundering violations. And I mean, really the most interesting point and, you know, the most damning point too, is that, you know, the government, you know, basically said that, you know, not only were these anti-money laundering violations, but the company itself basically depended on money laundering as part of its business model. You know, that what a was, statement, what a state, <laughs> what a statement, what a right? statement. Like that's yeah. their target market. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's a big risk in the crypto industry. And, and that's something that, um, you know, this is a, this is a big statement from the government. This is putting, um, you know, crypto companies and exchanges on notice that you need to do um, KYC and due diligence. You know, th this is, this is, you know, we've seen this with other exchanges and we, and we know this from the industry where if, if your controls are weak, I mean, that's going to be publicized throughout the, you know, the seedy underbelly of the internet on the dark web. You know, it, people are looking for ways to launder money and, um, you know, they do, uh, they do see cryptocurrency as a way, way to do that. So when they find these weaknesses and controls, which again, BitMEX basically had no controls on, you know, on their platform, um, this was identified and it, it, and those types of individuals, you know, came out in force. Now, um, you know, BitMEX now obviously realizes the significance, um, you know, there, and also it should be pointed out that they are outside the U.S., um, they are registered in um, Seychelles, um, but you know they they knew they were bringing in U.S. customers that they just turned a blind eye to it. So you know that's ultimately where the jurisdiction comes from. But right. they are now trying to remedy things. Uh, you know, certainly yeah, they're going to be operating money, from but... <laughs> jail. They're going to be operating right. from jail is the, the is the thing. So, so but th they, that's what that's one case though, Matt. But you know, on the you know, and and that underscores AML and that underscores that. 
But then we had the big, and I, I know you've been writing a lot about this, the, the Ripple case, which gets back to, um, you know, is our cryptocurrencies, you know, securities for purposes of the SEC and, and, and an ICO or an offering. And the Ripple case brings us right back to that. And the Ripple, and people have criticized the SEC for going after Ripple while they let other cryptocurrencies sort of backdoor their ways into offerings. But what about the Ripple case? That to me, I mean, th there could be a lot of interesting case law that comes out of this case. Yeah. And, you know, what is and is not a security from the cryptocurrency um, industry is still a very open-ended question. Um, and just even before we get to the Ripple, Ripple case, just to kind of lay out the high-level background, you know, the SEC has given some statements on cryptocurrency where they acknowledge that not all cryptocurrencies um, are securities. And they've said Bitcoin specifically, not a security. Um, they've made statements, Ethereum, now not a security, although in its initial offering may have um, may have been an issue, but they're not, it seems like they're not going to you know, open up that can of worms because now they're, you know, they're fine. Um, other, and they basically said that it's a sliding scale. You know, most cryptocurrencies fall somewhere on that scale, some closer to security, some closer towards commodity. Um, the CFTC generally regulates most cryptos as a commodity. Um, the IRS treats them as property for tax purposes. So it's, it's convoluted and they don't quite fit into any of these regulatory frameworks. So Ripple specifically, um, the SEC has always really had an eye on them. And even in the industry, it's been known that if anyone's going to get in trouble, it's probably going to be Ripple. Um, most cryptocurrencies are considered decentralized where they don't really have a um, centralized authority governing the blockchain and regulating it. Whereas Ripple, they probably do. Um, you know, certainly up for debate, but more centralized than, than really any other cryptocurrency out on the market right now. So that was really, that's really what this case is hinging on, um, in my opinion. I mean, there's, you know, several other factors, but, you know, the SEC is essentially charging them as um, offering an unregistered security with their cryptocurrency XRP. Um, and they um, went after, and they, they went after the two, I guess the, the original founder and then the current, like, head of Ripple. Uh, the yeah, the current chairman and the current CEO, okay. Larson and Garlinghouse are their names, um, but okay. they've been there for a long time. And, you know, the complaint basically said, you know, and this, this is a quote, that Ripple created an information vacuum such that Ripple and the two insiders with the most control over it, Larson and Garlinghouse, could sell XRP into a market that possessed only the information defendants chose to, chose to share about Ripple and XRP. So that was the other issue as well, is that they're not providing um, full disclosures that, you know, a security offering requires. So it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a very in-depth case. Um, you know, Ripple has since responded um, and only the company so far, the two individuals have not responded yet. And Ripple's response, I mean, I think they know that they're in trouble. Um, the biggest takeaway I had from the, their response is that it was more of a PR effort than anything. Um, I mean, obviously they deny all the allegations, but you know, they really went above and beyond to really lay out how they think this is unfair. Um, in conjunction with their response, they filed a, um, a FOIA request with the SEC to get all their communications that they've ever had about 
um, other cryptocurrencies and specifically Bitcoin and more importantly, Ethereum. Um, and like I said, Ethereum, you know, probably would have been considered a security in its initial offering when they first, you know, conducted their ICO. Um, I think they'd probably fit a similar fact pattern here. However, they have shifted to a very decentralized um, version of itself since that point. And I think that's what's saving them. So, Whereas Ripple hasn't because Larson and Garlinghouse also, don't they hold like half of the half of the XRP that's out there? Yeah, um, I don't know exactly how much it is, but the company still holds a significant amount in its treasury and they just continuously release them into the market, you know, generating a significant amount of funds for the company. I mean, I, I think they've brought in over, you know, a couple billion dollars um, just based on, you know, their sales of XRP. So, um, you know, it, it's significant sums of money. That's obviously another big reason why they went after this company. Um, why does, but, why does it, uh, and I have a question for you on this. Why, why does the fact that a current a cryptocurrency comes out and becomes decentralized, why is that important for regulatory purposes? In other words, when you decentralize, does that, get, does that eliminate the ability of any one person or small group of people to affect the price in the market? Or, uh, and, and is that what they're looking essentially. at? Essentially. Okay. Yeah, it, so it, go, it goes back to the, um, the elements you need to show in order to be deemed a security. So the Supreme Court previously, um, it's known as the Howey test. Um, okay. and, you know, in a major decision, they, you know, set out this Howey test and there's four prongs. And the last prong is, um, you know, whether the profit is gener generated solely from the efforts of a promoter or a th third party. So that, you know, that's generally um, defined by, you know, being centralized, essentially, um, right. you know, at least how I interpret it with regards to cryptocurrency. So, you know, Ripple is pretty much controlling the XRP currency they have you know full say over it um i don't believe their code is open source um I, I could be i could be wrong on that but i think that's you know a big driving factor and okay you know the updates to the code are all controlled by the ripple company itself whereas ethereum you know they do have the ethereum foundation which is which is the primary driver um but it's open source and really anyone can work on it and the ethereum network basically the holders of the, of the currency can vote on the changes that, that they want to see. So even someone outside, you know, even an organization outside the Ethereum foundation theoretically could implement changes if it's good enough where the network itself wants to adopt them. Um, I don't see that as possible with an XRP right now. And right. so that's on, why they get at that issue of, of centralization versus decentralization. And on that point, so this is not, um, law yet, but this was <clears throat> proposed by um, Hester Pierce, SEC commissioner last year. Um, she proposed a three-year safe harbor rule um, to give cryptocurrencies time to become decentralized um, because it's nearly impossible for these companies to start off being fully decentralized. You know, just by its nature, someone needs to initially develop it and then, you know, put it out in the market and then have it grow from there. And then sure, you can shift to be decentralized. So it's, it was actually a pretty good idea to still try and foster that kind of innovation and creativity that we're seeing from these companies, you know, without hammering them right off the bat um, with, you know, very onerous securities registration um, requirements. So um, 
I don't know if we see that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this gets accepted, but it's a pretty good idea. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. It, it is a good idea because uh, you can't launch a cryptocurrency in a decentralized manner. It's like the, the network effect in economics. You know, right. you, you have to hit a certain number of participants for it to make economic sense. Right. And that's, uh, and I think Ripple's behavior here sort of, they are almost begging to be hit on the head. I mean, in the way yeah. that they are controlling, like you're saying, uh, they can control the release of their own uh, currency and affect the market and their holdings that way. They can, I mean, you want to talk about manipulating a market price. They could do that if they really wanted to. So, right. Yeah, so that, it, it, it's an interesting, interesting case. I mean, th this is really going... I, I, I think this is going to be a seminal case in the cryptocurrency industry. You know, it, it could force the government to, you know, rework its regulations on what they, what a, what a security is because right now cryptocurrency doesn't really fit into the definition. I mean, right. I know most, most law is, a, you know, a lot of gray area, but I mean, they've just admitted that it's a sliding scale. That's the term they used, you know, so how do you determine where that line is of when you cross into security and when you don't? So it's, it's tricky, and I, I, you know, this this area of regulation clearly needs some reform. Um, I think this may be the case to do that. Although that said, it, it it could be tricky just because I think Ripple ultimately settles, and we may not get the change that we ultimately want. But that said, I mean, they've got a lot of resources. If they want to push it to the brink, you know, they'll do that. Um, they've got a strong legal department. I, I know most of their internal legal team are former SEC officials. <laughs> mm, that's going to so, be interesting. Yeah, they can yeah. put them to their test that way. So Right. So it, it, it could get interesting, although I, I'm not convinced it will. Um, but, you know, we'll see. This is it's still only in its infancy. Yeah, I mean, it's likely to settle. These cases rarely go to trial. And if they do settle, you know, who knows what sort of precedent uh, will, you know. But what I think is interesting is what you said. Uh, I think the SEC has some problems in the, their consistency here. And I think if they get FOIA and they get some of this communications, they can show the judge, hey, on one, that one hand, they say one thing to one person and another thing to another. And they're going after us because we're the big dog on the street. You know, right. so and, that, and don't, that, you know, and don't forget too, you know, one of their one of their key arguments that they've repeated throughout their response that in, in all their public statements, you know, who's bearing the brunt of the damages here right now. I mean, the XRP coin at their, its price was cut in half because, you know, most exchanges are no longer allowing trading. It's for liquidity. You know, no wow. one wants it anymore. They're trying to sell it. So anyone, any retail investor who held XRP has lost, you know, th that's who's bearing the brunt of these billions of dollars of damage right now. So, um, you know, they want, Ripple wants to make that clear to show like, hey, the SEC, like you're supposed to be protecting the retail investors. However, you just push the damages onto them right now with this. So, wow. I don't think that argument holds much weight in court. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Personally, that said, I mean, it, you know, it, it's an interesting point. It's, it's a yeah. fair point. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's take a look at, you know, what's going on on a broader sense. Uh, we have those two sort of big actions, big cases going on. Um, in terms of, uh, and you wrote about this last year when it came out, there was the, the Department of Justice put out enforcement guidelines, and you wrote about this, but 
can you just sort of refresh us as to what you thought the major points were from that? And I think it's a big deal that they did come out with these guidelines. Yeah, it's showing that it's definitely going to be a focus going forward. Um, you know, there are a variety of criminal issues that um, cryptocurrency is involved with. Uh, you know, I mean, just to put it very bluntly, it's a, it's a replacement for cash, right? It's a replacement for money. So any crime that involves money can involve cryptocurrency, which is a very wide, <laughs> wide, mm -hmm. wide array of um, crimes. And, and that's what they laid out. Like, you know, they basically, you know, gave some summaries of some of the actions they've taken in the past few years, um, what they focused on and why, um, you know, they did what they did. And they put together, you know, for, in one of the sections, they put together a list of the different regulations that and laws that they relied on. And again, like I said, it's, it's everything. You know, people think money laundering, people think securities violations, but it, it you know, it, again, it could just be anything. And um, I, I thought the most interesting part, and you know, we, we've seen this in general across a variety of in industries, um, but the most interesting part was their emphasis on their increased partnerships with other regulatory bodies. You know, for example, we obviously do a lot of work with sanctions. So, you know, OFAC is the, you know, the big bad guy in that area. Right. Um, and the DOJ has been working very closely with OFAC throughout the years. Um, and, you know, not even just on cryptocurrency, but just in general. I think it was 2018 they had their action against Accentra or 2019 maybe. Yeah. Um, the UK company where they entered into, um, was it a deferred prosecution agreement? Yes. Yeah. Um, for selling yeah. cigarette filters in North Korea. So right. they worked that closely was actually, with OFAC on that. Yeah, that was actually 2020. But the other okay. big case that happened from OFAC standpoint was they went after the first crypto trading platform bitgo and now hmm. bitgo uh, hired a new chief compliance officer and uh in this process and ofac uh they reached a settlement with bitgo but like bitgo was doing trades uh without even screening which country you know the ip address mm -hmm. uh the trader was coming from and lo and behold they had iranian Cuban, Venezuelan uh, traders. And um, so they ran into some problems with that. So look, I think DOJ, and one thing that I think will definitely happen uh, and I, I want, in this new framework with the Biden administration is you're absolutely gonna see greater coordination among the regulatory agencies in DOJ, because mm -hmm. DOJ will be, looking for cases, they're gonna be enforcement minded. And it's not just gonna be fraud cases, you know, using crypto or, you know, fraud schemes, because it doesn't matter what, whenever there's money out there to be made, like in COVID, <laughs> you get fraud cases, right? Right. Here you're going to get, um, I think you could get more cases where there's misrepresentations or fraud made to regulatory agencies or failures to even just like the uh, BitMEX case where there's just a complete failure to adopt any regulatory compliance program. Right. And, and yeah, that's been a major focus for OFAC. Uh, you know, I guess it was 2019 or so, the first Bitcoin wallet address appeared on the SDN list. Right. Which, I mean, that, that's how you know you made it, right? When you appear on the SDN <laughs> list. <laughs> that means you're, you're making money and you're out there and doing well in the marketplace. 
but it turns out that you happen to represent a bad guy or be part of a bad guy. So, right. But I think so, that, look, the DOJ does not put out, look, there's, and I know this from experience, when mm -hmm. you have enforcement guidelines or whatever, the FCPA was the first area where they start, started to do that in 2012. That was a precedent setting document. This is the second time that I can think of a comprehensive statement made as to how we're going to enforce the law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we have some in the antitrust division in terms of cartel activity, but this to me, I think it means that they're they're sort of laying the predicate to prosecute people, and then they're going to say, "We told you, we right. would do this, right?" And then right. they're going to follow it up, and I think they're going to get referrals from the CFTC, from the SEC. They already work closely with the SEC on FCPA issues, so. Right, and you know th this is kind of my concern with um, potential regulation, um, and you know, this could occur under the Biden administration. You know, I I'm not trying to tar you know um, target him specifically or any of his his policies. Um, it this is just a trend we've been seeing over the years, even before he he was in office. That you know, I I think the U.S. obviously. Um, you know, the, the U.S. enjoys economic dominance and global economic dominance, right? I mean, I don't think that's, that's inarguable. And they use that power in a variety of ways. Sanctions is the perfect example. You know, we'll fight you, you know, with economic warfare. Um, so I, I think they're concerned about anything eating into that or eroding that power. And I do think that they see cryptocurrency potential in that regard. Um, you know, with regards to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and all these decentralized um, currencies. So I'm worried there's like a little trepidation about them. And that's why some of these policies do seem rather heavy handed. Um, right. and, and let me let me put this in perspective, even because I just recently, you know, just this past week, I tried to sign up for a new exchange. Um, and this is the error message that I got when I tried to log in. It is prohibited to access or use our services if you are located in, established in, or resident of, and you know, listen to this group of countries, the United States of America, Cuba, Crimea and Sevastopol, Iran, Syria, North Korea, or Sudan. Now, so why is the, the U.S. US <laughs> in that list? Because of the regulatory, and your point is that the regulatory requirements are so burdensome that they're saying we won't even bother to get customers from that area because it's too burdensome to comply. Correct. A lot mm. of, you know, new and upcoming cryptocurrency companies do see the U S as effectively embargoed just because currently they believe the regulations are either one, too onerous or two, too unclear um, and, and puts them at too much risk. Mm. So, yeah, that's I, interesting. I, that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. So, yeah. So, you know, I worry the U.S. is going to lose out here in terms of, you know, this um, innovation in this industry. They're essentially restricting it where most other jurisdictions around the globe are um, allowing it to continue. I mean, you know, several others have their eyes on it as well. It's not just a U.S. thing, but, um, you know, everyone's scared of the U.S. And big concern, you know, even from a national security point of view, is that China is pushing very hard to embrace cryptocurrency. Um, you know, there have been discussions amongst, you know, national security team um, in the government about what to do with China and cryptocurrency. You know, it, it is known that Bitcoin's mining power, the majority of it does come from China. So, you know, it could be argued China has a stronger control over it. 
Um, although again, it's decentralized, so I don't think it's a big deal. Um, however, they do have significant mining control, which would mean that they do have more control over Bitcoin than any other country. Right. Um, China has also been pushing its own digital yuan. So, you know, they're, you know, diving in head first into the cryptocurrency and, you know, digital currency world. So, you know, we don't want to fall behind that because if this is really the new wave of, um, you know, the, the next, uh, major economic trend, we don't want to fall behind, especially one of our biggest rivals. <laughs> right. What about, um, uh, uh, and I think you had mentioned this to me before, you said that uh, Janet Yellen, who's now the head of the uh, Department of Treasury, was confirmed. Mm-hmm. Has she made, has she given any indication as to which way she's going to go on, or is she ignoring the crypto issue? What What do you see from her? So far? Yeah, so... She made some um, pointed comments in her Senate confirmation hearing, but even before that, she has been a noted um, detractor for cryptocurrency. Hmm. Um, she said before she doesn't like it, she doesn't think it's a good idea, things like that. Um, in her confirmation hearing, she made a statement that basically said, and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but she basically said many cryptocurrencies are used mainly for illicit transactions. So. Hmm. She basically said in her view that, you know, people using cryptocurrency are probably felons, right? Right, <laughs> like right. Mo- more likely than not, they're, you know, doing something illegal with it, which is not, is not true, you know. And um, for any of our listeners, if you're familiar with Chainalysis, um, it's one of the, one of the leading um, blockchain analytics companies. Um, and I guess even for a, a brief step back to outline it for people that are not necessarily familiar with cryptocurrencies, um, most have a public ledger, which basically means that all of their transactions, I mean, all of them are completely public and open for anyone to view. Now they're anonymized to some extent. Um, It, they show wallet address to wallet address and linking a person to a wallet address can be a little tricky, although not impossible. Um, That said a lot, and I would say many, if not most wallet addresses um, have been identified and we know essentially, you know, effectively who, who that's attached to. So chain analysis has, you know, their technology that, you know, um, crawls through the blockchain and, th- and through these ledgers to figure out where money's going, where it's coming from. And, you know, just, I, um, just putting more, um, putting a story behind these transactions. And they came out and said in response to these comments that less than 1% of all crypto transactions are related to some sort of listed transaction. Mm. So that should put into perspective <laughs> how yeah. this industry is and, and where that disconnect is between, you know, arguably our top financial regulator. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And what's actually what's actually going on in the industry. Yeah. So I mean, I would think that uh, you know, Treasury is going to be looking at this, particularly from an AML perspective, and uh, that and FinCEN. Uh, and, uh, and then ultimately the, the regulatory bodies. So, um, we'll have to see what happens, uh, with that. So let's, uh, let's, so we, we've got an interesting time coming up under the Biden administration. Obviously you'll stay on top of that or we'll try to as best we can, but, uh, let's go to a couple of, uh, interesting sort of industry trends. And I'm just to show you that all I know is this title but what is decentral? There, there. You've mentioned before decentralized finance, or is it DeFi? DeFi. DeFi. Yeah. What does that mean? 
So this is the hot industry trend right now. Um, so this basically means um, it, it's different financial products that don't have a um, centralized mid middleman. So the best way to explain this, think about Robinhood. You know, Robinhood's been in the news recently. If you've been following the situation right. with GameStop, um, you know, and the surging stock prices and all that, you know, Robinhood was right in the middle of that. So, you know, Robinhood um, bills itself as being as allowing the average trader to participate in the markets, right? You can put in $5 and buy, buy some stocks on, on right. your phone. What happened during GameStop is that the price was surging so much that Robinhood um, began restricting trading on it. Um, actually halted it for a day and then put restrictions on it for the next couple of days. Um, and they did that with GameStop and, you know, several other stocks that were, that were surging at that point. Now, why they did it, I mean, that's up for debate. Um, they, they apparently had liquidity issues. Fine. Let, you know, let's even accept that. That said, they still had the power to restrict that trading. So with DeFi, you know, the goal is to create a platform, for example. Um, you know, this is just one example that, would allow you to trade stocks, but no one is able to shut it down because there is no central body that governs it. Um, it operates in the blockchain like Bitcoin and it just goes. <laughs> it wow. operates under a set of rules utilizing smart contracts on the Ethereum network or other smart contract protocols. And it just executes the trades and there's no way to stop it once, once it's running. Um, you know, and there's a variety of you know, different ways that they, that this can be used right now. They're very complex. They're not very user-friendly. They can provide lending services, arbitrage, um, liquidity. Um, I'm just trying to throw out some financial terms that I know. <laughs> yeah. 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 In terms of no, but a, a variety of these complicated services that are mainly um, conducted by banks and hedge funds and other major financial institutions. Um, and they're offering these services and generally offering them to, um, essentially anyone that wants to use it. Now, there's risks involved here. Um, you know, if stepping back to cryptocurrencies in general, how do you regulate something that doesn't have a governing body? Well, generally, the government has been focusing on the exchanges, um, the on-ramping on and off-ramping of fiat US dollars. So what happens if you have an exchange that has no governing body, right? Someone sets this up on the blockchain and it runs based on, you know, the mining power around the world and there's no one that can stop it or put any controls into it. So now what, how do you force them to comply with KYC? How do you force them to comply right. with money laundering regulations? Um, and that is a big issue right now because a lot of these DeFi exchanges are just open to anyone and there's, you know, no KYC being done. And again, how do you then force them to do that when there's no one to subpoena? There's no one to, you it's know, file against. Yeah, exactly. Right. There's no organization. What about, right. um, and I think uh, the other trend you have uh, noted before is how, so you have sort of the decentralized finance. Now, crypto companies are going and sort of going right into the marketplace and competing against banks and getting bank charters. Yeah, so there's a big push, uh, big industry trend for traditional banking services, but on the blockchain essentially, or dealing with cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. Um, we have seen two companies um, receive their um, uh, sure. they essentially bank charger charters from the office of the com 
comptroller of the currency, the OCC. Yeah, that's uh, a big deal. That's really right. hard to get. Right. Two have been given the green light so far, and two others have applied and are, are awaiting their charters. So um, this is also going to be interesting to watch under the Biden administration because the former head of the OCC, who just left in early January with the changing of the administration, he was very crypto friendly because he was the former chief legal officer of Coinbase, one of the, oh. one of the if not the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the U.S. So you could understand why he was very pro cryptocurrency. Right. So I forget who just stepped in. I, but I mean, I don't think it's, I know they don't come from a cryptocurrency background. So I don't think it's um, out of line to say that they're probably not as favorable yeah. <laughs> for cryptocurrency as you know the former guy was. So, But what about the recent news we saw, for example, I just saw this morning, which was that Visa, for example, is going to accept Bitcoin payments. Um, and I know that's not bank related. I mean, banks issue credit cards, but, um, but, you know, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing sort of the influx now of uh, established, more stable currencies, you know, being accepted by what I would call the traditional, you know, financial players. Yeah, this is um, a big industry trend. Uh, We've seen a lot of, um, Financial institutions begin to embrace them over the past few years. Um, I believe Robinhood does have crypto trading. PayPal implemented it. They dipped their toe in the water. And more and more are now seeing, you, you know, I'm sure they see the value of it, but to be completely candid, I'm sure they see the profits from it. Right, right. <laughs> Most of these cryptocurrency exchanges have very high fees for trading them. So, you know, and people are willingly paying them because the returns they're receiving, you know, outweigh that. So, you know, use PayPal for an example. Like I said, they began to dip their toe into it last year. And just recently it was announced that they are, have dedicated a significant sum of resources to build out their cryptocurrency offerings. I mean, I expect them to develop, um, pro- I, I think they're you know, planning to develop an exchange that may compute directly with Coinbase. So you can go onto PayPal and, you know, through your PayPal account, buy whatever cryptocurrencies, you know, you want through, just through that. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're going to I think we're going to see a lot of that, especially from the fintech industry. Um, Again, as they realize, this is a great source of profits for them. (laughs) Right. But But, we also had the the comment by Elon Musk uh, in well, comment. It's he he invested in in Bitcoin. Right. So so just just before we get to that, I I do just also want to just sticking on the financial side real quick. I I do want to point out that even. You know, it's not just the fintechs, but we are going to begin seeing traditional banking um, get into it. I mean, just this morning or um, I think it was this morning or yesterday, one of the oldest financial institutions in the U.S., BNY Mellon, um, they announced they're going to begin offering cryptocurrency services. Mm. Um, And part of that, not necessarily trading, um, but storage and custody options for cryptocurrency traders. So, you know, I, we're beginning to see this massive shift now, even in the traditional finance industry, who for years up to this point have fought it. Now <laughs> they're Bitcoin embracing is worthless, it. Right. Yeah. And now they're beginning to embrace it. So interesting. And I think that that could have a big impact on ultimately on the regulation of it in terms of the OCC. They may start to you know, bend a little bit more, the SEC may start to bend a little bit more so that we have to watch that in terms of the Biden administration. So, 
But anyways, let's finish up with uh, with Elon Musk, uh, Matt. Yeah. And, you know, I guess it all begins, the, our economy begins and ends with Elon Musk these days, <laughs> right? So what, I mean, what happened there? And, and I mean, I think it's a pretty big development. Yeah, so this has been um, a bit of a trend in, in the last year or so. Um, where companies are putting some of his cash, some of its cash reserves into Bitcoin, um, you know, to add it to their balance sheets. Um, I think we saw this, and ah, man, his his name escapes me now. But the company um, is Grayscale, and, and two companies are Grayscale and MicroStrategy. Um, they've been investing significant sums into Bitcoin to add it to their balance sheet. Um, but talk about market just, fluctuation of your cash. I mean. Well, so again, Elon Musk just recently, you know, it just came out public in their SEC filings that they, you know, bought Tesla bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. Wow. Now, Tesla obviously is a hot name in the market, right? I mean, its stock price has soared. Elon Musk is, you know, um, a genius, right? He's modern yeah. man, Iron Man or whatever they call him. So clearly this had a big impact on the market. Bitcoin that day shot up 20%. And that means Tesla in that day alone made somewhere between, I think it was 300, 400 million dollars just in that day alone off their Bitcoin holdings, wow. which is more, more than the revenue they've generated from their car sales. And it's, you know, since its inception, that's incredible. <laughs> so, so put that in perspective right there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so we that, may see more companies do that in the future, especially um, companies that have significant cash reserves. Um, mm-hmm. Just yesterday, Twitter, um, Publicly, publicly stated that they were considering it. Um, the big rumor, I mean, if this happens, you'll see Bitcoin, you know, this is not financial advice, obviously, but um, you may see Bitcoin spike significantly even more if Apple were to get into it. Obviously, right. they've got a significant amount of cash offshore that they're doing nothing with. So, you know, th- it's certainly possible that they could consider it. I don't know, you know, that's just a rumor. That's what's floating around. I've heard no official statements one way or another, but um the point being is that you may see major companies now um, begin to add Bitcoin to their balance sheets. Now that's amazing. I mean, look what look how it's come full circle, you know, eventually to in terms of the economy. And uh, you know, you've always been talking about cryptocurrency for the last few years, so uh, <laughs> you must feel like you know, hey, everybody, I told you so. Um, I mean, the, the interesting part of it, you know, and again, no financial advice, whatever. I, I've made money. I've lost money. So don't trust me with, with any of this. But uh-huh. it, the interesting p- part about it is that it does seem like it's allowing the average person um, to invest in startups, in early stage infant startups, where normally that would be reserved for venture capitalist funds, um, you know, accredited investors. Now anyone can get in, into the um, nascent stages of this industry, which is um, exciting, scary. You know, it brings risks, obviously, but a lot of reward as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty I, interesting. I still think we're only just beginning. Yeah, no, I mean, the technology of blockchain is amazing. So, and we're we're seeing more and more of that in compliance, in contracts, in management. Blockchain is just you know an uh, unbelievable technology. Um, okay, Matt. Well, listen, thanks. Uh, a great review. Uh, if people need to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you uh, at the Volkoff Law Group? 
Yeah. Um, if you use the contact form on our website, volkofflaw.com, which is a brand new site, just put it up recently. Um, I'm pretty proud of it. So I want to, want to, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Use the, use the contact form there. It'll come directly to my inbox. I'm happy to talk with anyone about this. Um, my email is mstankowitz at volkofflaw.com. Um, I realize that is difficult to spell, so we'll include it in our show notes. <laughs> okay, great. But looking forward to answering any questions any of you guys may have. Okay, Matt, thanks. Uh, keep up the great work. Uh, your crypto leadership is pretty impressive. And uh, we'll stay. We'll bring you back again to, for an update maybe sometime this year. Okay, thanks. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.